Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Happy New Year, people. Happy New Year. Hope you had a fantastic holiday season. We're in this new year. The future is bright. We've got a whole new, fresh set of 12 months ahead of us to make our lives great and to do great things. And we are here to celebrate that. And of course, at Not Real Art, we talk to the world's most creative people. And as we're coming into 2024, I've been thinking a lot about what we want to do this year from a podcasting perspective. And perhaps you caught this on a previous episode, but this year we're going to mix it up a little bit. Rather than dropping new episodes every week, we're actually going to... uh, change it up a bit. And yes, every month we will drop at least one new episode. Well, we'll drop at least two new episodes. We'll introduce you to a new artist once a month. We're going to continue my auditorials where I get on my soapbox about a particular topic. So, you know, we'll be doing that. Of course, auditorials dropped the last week of the month. And I think what we're going to be doing is we're going to be dropping new interviews the first week of the month. But in those middle weeks, we're going to do something different. We're going to cross-promote some of the other podcasts that we have, podcasts like Artsville, Celebrating American Contemporary Arts and Crafts, podcasts like The Conduit, where we talk to musicians, professional independent musicians about their journey as an artist and making it in the music business. We're going to cross-promote Art World Horror Stories, for example, and you know the other podcasts that we produce here at Crew West Studio. So we're going to do some cross-promotion this year. Let's not forget about Laugh Gallery, the comedy podcast that we're going to that we produce, and we're going to cross-promote that. So one week each month, you're going to have the opportunity to listen to some of our other podcasts that we produce, and so we're going to be dropping those which would be a lot of fun. And I think it'll be good for you and and entertaining and enjoyable and sort of expand your horizons a little bit in terms of the arts and culture podcast that we produce here at Crew West Studio. Also, we're going to be doing some repeats, some replays. We're going to go back into the archives. We've talked to some amazing artists and creatives uh, over the years. And I believe this is our 250th episode, by the way. Let's not gloss over that but over the you know last 250 episodes we've talked to some amazing people and we're going to go back into the archives and replay some of these past episodes so that you can learn maybe you missed them the first time around but you can catch them this time and you'll be delighted because some of these people are amazing and today in fact we're going back into the archives and talking to the one and only Teddy Margas. And Teddy is a SAG actor, comedian, performer. He's been on television shows and movies. He's done, you know, theater. He's done stand-up live comedy and live performances. And he is a fantastic human. I just love talking to Teddy. And you're going to hear our conversation here in a minute. But before we get into it, I want to you know, as I always do, thank you for showing up. We do this for you. If it wasn't for you, you I'd just be talking into a microphone. That would be sad. So thanks for coming through. Of course, as always, I want to encourage you to go to notrealart.com and check out all the good, healthy stuff we've got for you there. So much amazing content. We've got new online exhibitions happening this year, one dropping, you know, first Fridays 
of every month, 12 new exhibitions coming to you this year. So please pay attention to First Fridays. Of course, let's not forget the video series Remote by the one and only Badir McCleary, which is available exclusively at notrealart.com. And so please check out Remote, check out First Fridays, check out all the good healthy stuff we've got for you at notrealart.com. And so, yeah, you know, we just are passionate about creating this content that celebrates and elevates artists and their work. And, you know, notrealart.com is a fantastic place to go and discover artists that you wouldn't have known otherwise and discover amazing talent and learn from them and learn about their work, you know, have the opportunity to buy their work and follow their work. So please be sure to go to notrealart.com and check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you there. But today, today we have the one and only Teddy Margus, and he is just a fantastic human. Like I said, he is a SAG actor. He's an AFTRA member as well. And he is what we call here in Hollyweird, we call him a working actor, so to speak. He is all over the place. In television, he's you know, doing reoccurring guest stars on shows, on Hulu shows, Netflix shows, Fox shows. He's been on, you know, reoccurring guest star on Reboot, on Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. He's uh, AJ and the Queen, Lethal Weapon, Esther and Morty. I mean, on and on. Fashion Police, Margaret Cho's uh, Blind uh, Dinner Party. You know, fantastic, fantastic stuff. He's been in films. He's been in Paradise uh, by Max uh, Isaacson. He's been in The Queen of Hollywood Boulevard, directed by Orson Obelvitz. On and on. I mean, he's been in multiple movies. He is, like I said, an ongoing stand-up performer here, you know, live performer in theater, doing comedy, doing theater. He's performed in Assassins at the Lyric Hyperion Theater, Hairspray uh, here at the Cupcake Theater in NoHo, Cruisin' here in Oh My Ribs Theater in L.A., on and on and on. Of course, he's also, you know, he's in commercials. And, you know, you've seen Teddy. He is around. He is around, and he is so talented and smart and funny. And he's from Philly. you got to love it. It was City of Love. I mean, come on. And I'm just so grateful to bring this episode back around in replay and hear from this fantastic human that we love, the one and only Teddy Margus. So without further ado, let's get into this and replay this fantastic conversation I had with Teddy. So here we go, people. Teddy Margus. Teddy Margus in the house. Hey, Marty! <laughs> Yay! Oh, man. <laughs> Yay, what, I'm excited to do this. What did I do to deserve this, Teddy? I don't know. You won the lottery, darling. You won <laughs> the mean, lottery. This is priceless. <laughs> Absolutely priceless. And I do feel like I, I hit the lottery. You, my friend, are one talented motherfucker. Woo! Oh, I'm glad we can say motherfucker. I was like, I wonder if we can curse on that thing. Yay, motherfucker! <laughs> Hell yeah, bitches! <laughs> yes, yes, bitch! I'm excited. You're just so talented, man. You just you make me laugh. You haven't made me cry. I don't know if you can make me cry. Are you that talented? I but... could do that too, <laughs> but not here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. That's well, a whole other podcast. Yes, and you know we've met through our mutual friend Katie Love through a project that we're co-producing called Laugh Gallery. And you and I recently had the chance to actually, you know, chat and chop it up for a bit. And, you know, so I'm just grateful to have you come on and share your story with our audience because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they aspire to be a comic. They aspire to be an actor. It's like a black box. It's a dangerous journey. You know, maybe there's pressure from the family to get a real job. <laughs> you know, there is and there always will be. That's what families do. That's the role of mother and father. How is that art thing? Good? They're making money? Did they pay you for this? Stop asking me if they paid me. <laughs> no, they didn't pay me. You got a hundred bucks I can borrow? <laughs> yeah, right. Did they, how's the comedy? Good? Did they pay you? Stop asking if they paid me. 
Apparently, we don't do it for the money. Where did you grow up, Teddy? I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Not born there, though. I was born in North Carolina, of all places. North Carolina? I know. Pitt County. I was born in the Pitts. Pitt County (laughs) Memorial Hospital in Greenville, North Carolina. My father had some family there and family in Philadelphia. Met my mother in Philadelphia. And then, so she moved to North Carolina because that's where his business was. But when I was born, I think my first words were, get me out of here. (laughs) Because I don't even remember it. I think I was two or three months old when they moved back to Philly to be closer with my mother's family. Oh, thank God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, then I just grew up in Philly with that Philly accent where you got to talk like this. It's not New York. It's hey. kind of more like Baltimore. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up with those guys. Like in the kind of like Philly was very like segregated, mm. but in a good way. Mm. It was like mm. there was the Italian neighborhoods. There was the Jewish neighborhoods. Uh, yeah. There was the Polish. The I mean, it was just all these. And then, you know, and it was all based in food. So it was like, what do you want to eat for dinner? Italian. Then we'll go to the Italian neighborhood or we're going to go to the Jewish neighborhood. So it was always, it was, I loved growing up there. I'm, I'm very happy I grew up in Philly. Very happy. I'm embarrassed to confess that I have never had a proper visit to Philly. So you've never had a proper Philly cheesesteak? No, I have not. No, I have not. You no, are missing out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's an art. Let me tell oof. you. Well, I have heard, you tell me, because I hail from Chicagoland and uh, grew up in the suburbs and and lived downtown for a long time. And I've heard that Philly and Chicago share of kind of a similar vibe in in that way. Yeah, they do. The art scene, the comedy scene and the food scene in both places are very famous, for lack of a better word. Philly and Chicago. I have an aunt who... She's no longer alive now, but she lived in Chicago. And when we would go visit, I loved Chicago, except the winter. <laughs> I, I remember we that. went there one winter and the snow banks from the wind, it covered her whole house. I was <laughs> yes, like, yes. yeah, uh, you know what? I think I'm going to move to L.A. <laughs> As a kid growing up with those banks, you the fun part is you could dive right into them. Like, you know, just, yeah. just you know, safely just dive, just yeah. get lost. That was the in best the part. And then if they went up to your, like, because, like, our house had three floors, actually. It was, like, there was, like, a one floor, then the middle floor, then the, our bedrooms were on the top floor. And my aunt, it's very similar to the houses in Chicago, and the snowbank had gone up to the bedroom. I was dying to just jump out of the bedroom window. But then I would be, like, stuck in a bank, like, okay, how do I get out of here? <laughs> so I didn't do it. But I regret it. I should have done it. Well, that's only because you didn't have a TikTok account at, at that point. You know, if, if- <laughs> With respect. <laughs> <laughs> there was no social media, so why do anything? Why bother? Why? I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh, so true. Well, Philly, I mean, Philly, I mean, has its share of weather, no doubt. Oh, yeah. So hot in the summer and so cold in the winter. I don't know how our skin survived. I really don't. I'm surprised because the one thing about like the heat, I prefer the heat over the cold. I cannot get warm when I'm cold. I mean, and here in LA, we had a cold spell where, what was it, 60? Oh, God, I'm in the Adirondacks. It's 60. I can't. I'm going to die of the cold. Hello, I grew up in Philly where it was like, but I can't get warm when I'm cold, but I can always get cool when I'm hot. There you go. There you go. It is what it is. It is what it is. Well, yeah, I look forward to getting to Philly. I mean, there's just obviously so much history and stuff. But I mean, that idea of the cultures and how it's sort of, you know, you you can in a good way. I mean, Chicago's similar to that, too. You have your neighborhoods and, you know, it's all about the food and art and culture as well. And And, culture. Yeah. It's it's, it's all about the culture because my grandmother was born in the Italian part of Philadelphia. So her house was there. She lived there. I, I swear I would hang out. And they were customs that they had that I didn't even know about. Like on Christmas Eve, they did the seven fishes thing, which what the heck is that? Well, that's where they like just cook all this like seafood. And I was like, why don't we do seven fishes? I don't understand. Why? Because well, we're not Italian. Eat, eat your then, mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah. And then where I grew up, my neighborhood was all Jewish. 
And every one of my friends were getting bar mitzvah. And when am I going to study the Torah from my bar mitzvah? <laughs> and my dad's like, well, you're not getting a bar mitzvah. I was like, well, why? Jeffrey Popo made $10,000 at his bar mitzvah. <laughs> and he's like, well, you're not going to have one. So I'm cheated out of $10,000. Teddy, you don't understand. It's not a show. It's a bar mitzvah. Okay? So that exposure to all that culture, yeah, uh, I think... It just makes for a well-rounded human being. 100%. 100%. We don't have that that anymore, I don't think. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it feels like we're balkanizing around politics or, or, you know, know, various cultural issues. And that melting pot aspiration eludes us somehow. Yeah. So true. It's very true. What year did you move to L.A.? During the gold rush, I got into my I got into my stagecoach and I said, "There is gold in the bar hills." Okay, I did two moves. I moved very, very young in 1989. Okay, uh, with you know, I was going to be like, "Honey, I'm going to be a star." Blah blah blah. And then I think I was here two years, and I just couldn't deal. I was I think I was too young. I couldn't, I didn't understand it. I couldn't make my own way. I was like, why aren't they discovering me? I literally was, you know, in Schwab's pharmacy. I was getting all the (laughs) magazines. I was getting drama log and I was getting variety. And I'm standing in front of a studio going, hello, is anybody going to discover me? Hello? Not how you do it. And so then I moved back home to Philly and I moved back out again in 99. So I Got like it. to say officially, I moved here in 99. So when you came out that first time, right, you know, it, LA is one of those places, right, that it's, I mean, it is, talented people are a dime a dozen. I mean, I hate to say it, right, but I mean, it no, is. It's true. Everybody comes it's here true. and there's so much talent here and it's supply true. True. outstrips demand, unfortunately, it seems true. in many ways. So were you one of those folks, artists that were, you know, back home, you know, you were clearly the most talented, funny, big you know, kid, fish. big fish in a small pond. Big fish in yeah. a small pond. And yeah. it was a shock to me. I like to have my hand in everything. I think art per se is deep seated in, in my family. My grandfather was a fine artist and he just, to, he was a restaurateur, but in his hobby was painting and he has the most beautiful paintings and he would just paint on anything, whatever he could find. We have paintings of his that are on like house shingles Amazing. and they're just a real artist. so yeah. gorgeous. But my grandmother was so over this hobby because it's not cheap, you know. He was like, you know, getting paints all the time with any extra money that they had. So when they eventually they retired from Philadelphia to Florida, when they moved, my grandmother threw out all of his paintings. <gasps> my mother, though, went to the dumpster where they threw them out and took everyone out. And over the years, has had them restored, framed, museum mounted, and then gifted. Everybody wants them now. And we all have like one painting from Papu, is what we call them in Greek, from Papu. And so I've always was intrigued by all of that. So I was always doing some form of art. If I'm not, I'm these two things behind me, I'm working on here. I'm working on these right now. I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, first of all, I think because of the pandemic, when I go to sleep, I see these rings and I realize, oh, it's the ring light. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. This isn't a premonition. This is the ring light. This is the side effect of the ring light. This isn't a portal to another dimension. It's a ring light. I'm laying in bed and I'm like, there's a portal to another dimension. Can I, can I get through it? No, it's the ring light burned into your retina. And so... It would remind me of like this particular one is called is the Mati, which is the Greek evil eye. Mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of cultures use that. Mm-hmm. It's not finished yet. There will be like a blue around the outer. And it will be even more evil than like, it is right now. It wards off the evil. Oh, so sorry. I'm, yes, I'm yes. It. Yes. yes, it wards off the evil. <laughs> and then as I was doing that, I was like, well, this looks like a cheap target ad, but in blue. And I was like, oh, what if I did a bullseye, but didn't get like gay target? And then, so I'm constantly painting and art is just all around me. And thanks to my family, I was able to just express myself in any way. And they were like, go for it. 
And I never even considered comedy because I first moved out here to be serious actor man. And then when I moved out here the second time, I had honed like my comedy skills in Philly. And then that's when, when you were, when I was able to marry it all together, comedy, art, all of it together, when you can actually free your mind and the rest will follow, that's when it started to happen. That's when it was like, oh, you're okay, I get it now. You can't, it's got to flow. It has to be organic. It, you have to like let it all just keep flowing. And that's when true art really happens. And you're like, well, I don't know what's guiding my hand. I don't know what's guiding my mind. I don't know what's guiding my mouth. But all that prep work that brought you to that point lets it go like, what? for lack of a better sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's what it's called. Okay. I was calling it something totally different. Well, that fusion, <laughs> that fusion, that synthesis, you know, yeah. the... What do I want to say? That medley of art forms and aesthetics or talents or whatever. I, I guess that's where real differentiation can start to happen, right? Yeah, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. I always get so, I guess I don't, I, I hate to say pissed off because I'm not technically a pissed off guy, but it just, it baffles my mind when you see a child going in that direction maybe they're picking up i don't know a, a crayon something color paint smearing it and they're like no 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 are you kidding me like this is something that you were born with and it's just it flows through you my dad's mother my yaya greek for, on my dad's side was was like a peasant woman she had like the gray hair and the bun and the black dress because her husband died young and she wore black the rest of her life and was a scary from afar looking woman but the kindest woman in the universe as a child my mother had a, a lipstick tree I don't know. It was some sort of eighties <laughs> thing. I don't yeah, know. yeah. But all her lips. I think my mom had an. Like, yeah, I think my mom had an earring tree. It's funny yeah, that you say that. Trees <laughs> were very big amongst the ladies. Yes. So she had a lipstick tree, but I was obsessed with all the colors and all the different colors. Like mm. as a, I think I was a toddler when this happened. I remember seeing like, oh, that's a blue red. That's an orange red. Mm. This mm. is a, and then, so I would take the lipstick and I would write on the walls with it. And one day when I was doing this, my grandmother, rather than take the lipstick out of my hand and beat the shit out of me, which is what <laughs> she should have done. She was behind me with a washcloth. As I was drawing, she was wiping it off so that I wouldn't get in trouble. And my mother came home and said, what are you letting him do? And she's like, let him express himself in Greek. He's got to express himself. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. So grateful for that. I you, just you, think, you, uh, yeah. go, let them explore. As parents, that's what we're supposed to do, guide them. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, I'm very passionate about lipstick trees, I guess. <laughs> well, I love these stories. I was talking to an artist the other day who had parents just like that, too. I mean, she started painting on the walls, drawing on the walls, and they let her. And she was just creating these beautiful little yeah. works of art, you know, that her little 10-year-old yeah. mind was making. And and it's that sense of development and empowerment and yes. self-reliance and independence that is so key if you really want to raise a, you know, free thinker. You know. Free thinker, well-rounded, and and I love that you, what you said is you don't even. They probably won't become an artist. That's not. But I don't think there's anything more confidence building than that hideous crown drawing on the refrigerator. Yeah, right. When you go to someone's house yep. and they have showcased yes. whatever it is that they did. I had an aunt who her son took elbow macaroni, spray painted it gold and threaded it and made her a macaroni necklace. And she was like, what the hell am I going to do with this? And I mean, we were like, oh God, she didn't like it. I mean, that kid's fucked up now. <laughs> but that kid is so <laughs> fucked up now. Uh, I made, you know, my mother something and she wore it with pride to like a function. And it was like, I don't know, it was a Fusili charm. I mean, it was... <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that art that your kid makes and you put up on the refrigerator, I don't think you realize what it does to that child. 
Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's like I got two kids under 10 and they're both very different. My daughter's an arts kid. My son is a ninja. <laughs> yeah, well, most sons are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's the bull where the china shop. But that's just you're just trying to create the space. You know, I come from a different tradition where my parents were clearly trying to raise me in their own image and right. mold me into whatever they thought I needed to be. And I don't want to do that to my kids, man. I mean, you know, I'm trying to create the space so they can feel safe and empowered to be who they are. Exactly. And there is, and I've said this to my parents because I cannot stress enough. There is no better gift to give to your child than the gift of confidence. End of story. If you you can buy them all the big wheels and all the easy bake ovens and all whatever the kids are having now, are they playing with yo-yos still? Whatever it is, you can... If you can instill confidence, you've done your job. That's it, man. That's it. To be able to walk, to be able to walk into any room in the world comfortable in one's own skin. Exactly. Which is what set me up for comedy. Because if you don't have, if you are not confident on that stage, you will be annihilated. And no matter how horrible and how terrible whatever it is that I was saying or doing was in the beginning, not anymore. I would like call my parents and my mother would say, but you're up there and they're not. And that always just hit me like, yeah, you're right. Like it doesn't matter what you do once you're up there. The fact that you're up there is your next step. Now take what you must from that and learn how can I stay up here and be better? But you are already one up. Totally. Thank you for that. I have the utmost respect for what you do as an actor, certainly as an artist, uh, but this specifically as a comic, man. I mean, getting up on stage, just one, you know, they say, you know, people's number one fear is public speaking. Well, you know, actually, maybe if that's true, then perhaps, you know, even a greater fear might be. It's like, okay, not only do you have to speak publicly, but you have to make the crowd laugh. (laughs) <laughs> Done. Good, good yeah. fucking luck, man. That's your only job. And then when you know the thing is, and like so, many, especially when, and then you'll say, "Oh, I, I, I do comedy. Oh, make me laugh." Automatically, your visceral reaction is like, "Oh God, <laughs> I don't know how." What do you mean you don't know how? You're a comic. You're like, wait a minute, what? Wait a minute, yeah. Oh my God, you don't. Re- I think as as a comic, I know you know you're supposed to go up there and make them laugh, but I don't think you realize that they are there waiting for you to make them laugh. Until it hits you in the face like, oh my, wait a minute, I'm supposed to make them laugh? Oh no, I picked the wrong career. But (laughs) I have said this over and over again. I think stand-up comedy, whether you want to be a comic or not, is another perfect esteem-building exercise that I think everyone and their mother should attempt. I'm not saying you have to be good at it and you don't even have to make them laugh, but you have, sometimes you're given seven minutes, five minutes. The first time I went on stage, they gave me three minutes. What the heck can you do in three minutes, right? But you have 30 seconds at the most to make that crowd know who you are because then that eases them into, oh, I get this guy. I get what he's going to be. I'm going to, if you laugh right off the bat, you got them. Whether the jokes are, they remember what you opened with and what you closed with, basically. Right, right. And then, so, to your point, I mean, and they're a willing participant. I mean, they're there yeah, because they, they, they want to laugh. to be there. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I've said, you you do stand up and you learn just that one thing, how to get that audience to know you within 30 seconds. You can walk into any interview, any audition, any party, any crowded room anywhere and command the room and that is what i think the basis of work is like getting that job running that meeting whatever it is walking in commanding that presence letting them know who you are and then going with it and comedy does that so there's that stereotype about comics that it's like oh comics are you know, damaged people or they've had some trauma or whatever. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but, but, but based on our few minutes of conversation right now, it's sort of, you know, I'm going to speculate that sounds like you come from a very loving family. You, you had great yeah. support, that kind of thing. Yeah. I've cursed my family for that. Actually. 
<laughs> so <laughs> so what say you about this stereotype, you know? You know, my family thought, and I remember Jodie Foster when she won her Oscar, she said something that I it always stuck with me. She said, I want to thank my, I don't know if it was her parents or her mother, for making me feel like everything I ever drew was a Picasso. Mm. And my parents did that too. So when I drew something that other people would tear down or rip down, I would be like, um, you're crazy. My mother thinks this is funny. My mother thinks this is amazing. And then it didn't prep you for the other part of it. So I've always said, could you have at least said one or two things were shitty? <laughs> and I always said, I don't believe that trope that comics are sad or depressed or traumatized. I don't believe it. But then the more I delved into comedy and the funnier I got was when I did figure out what was my trauma. I was like a fat, gay, feminine kid growing up and going to school, tormented, teased. That never entered my mind. Did I block it out? I don't know. But when I went home from school, I didn't feel that way. So there was a balance. But when I tapped into that kid, that little fat kid, that's when, oh, wow, I would make them laugh so they wouldn't tease me. Mm. I was the class clown mm. and that was so that they wouldn't stare at me or they wouldn't, you know, if we had, remember in health class specifically when we had the subject of nutrition and I sat like not in the back, but like two or three rows from the back and the health teacher, I'm not going <laughs> to say her name. Come on, say it. Come on. Ms. Oxendine, MS period <laughs> Oxendine. She, 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 may you live long and prosper, bitch. <laughs> she would go like, she would say, and a healthy meal is blah, 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 blah. But she almost was like darting her eyes at me that the kids would like turn around and they would look at me and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? Oh, I have my to do something. God. Yeah. Like, Are you kidding me? Wow. So yes, Ms. Oxendine. Wow. Wow. No, no trauma there. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, man. So well, at that point when I knew, when yeah. I knew, I knew when, when the subject would come up when the kids were going to turn around mm -hmm. or that's when it was like, okay, I have to do something to divert that. That's when I realized, oh, you did have trauma. Yeah. You did have trauma. It just wasn't like that person's trauma. So we all have our own trauma. When I tapped into that, that's when my comedy just was like almost easy. Not even had to like, oh, I can't think of something funny. Yeah, like you can because put yourself into that traumatic position and then boom. So how, bad. I mean, how many years into your comedy career was it or months maybe where you got hours. to that place? It was hours. <laughs> Minutes. <laughs> Wait, what's the question? Well, well, just, you know, that journey of discovering that, finding your voice as a comic, tapping into that trauma. Like, how long did that take? That's a process. It is a process, and I think it's ongoing all ongoing, the time. Yeah, yeah. But when it changed for me, when I realized the most, the first major shift happened, ugh, I want to say probably two or three years into it, when I realized, oh, here's my voice. You know, I think as a comic, the way it works is first you got to get your legs, mm -hmm. which is I can stand on this stage. I cannot be like, uh, pick the mic up and you're shaking. Once that settles, then you start doing what you're doing and you're trying to figure out what is this? What is that? And then you start finding your voice. And it happens. It happens when it, audience reaction, when you're like, oh, they like that part. Like mm. I used to not shy away from the fact that I was gay, but I never talked about gay things. I just, just wasn't something that I even thought about, to be honest with you. And then one time it just happened organically and the audience lost it. And I thought, do I need to be talking more about that? Mm, and then, yeah. so that's the transgression of mm -hmm. that process of that's how you find it. And things happen all the time. Now we're doing shows you know, on, on zoom, I, you know, I'm in my living room now talking to a, you know, a, something this big, my neighbors are like, what is he doing? He's talking to the computer again. <laughs> 
He's talking to the computer again. Something's Is going on okay? over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do we need to call the paramedics? So are you, I mean, so when you think of yourself, do you think of yourself, I'm going to take, I'm going to take a guess here. First as an artist, then an actor, and then a comic. Do you think of yourself as a comic first? Do you, you know, like, how do you, when you think about, it's, it's, about it's, your talent, what do you, how do you characterize it? I characterize myself on my tax returns. I put performer. Performer. Interesting. Performer. Okay. Yeah. Um, because you have to put one thing. <laughs> you can't <laughs> right. put, I'm a comic writer, artist, director, producer, genital, politic, hold on, there's no more room on here. <laughs> So you have to put one thing. So I put performer, but I, the way like I would put it on like something that would be like Teddy Vargas, actor, comic, writer is usually what, usually how I do it. Got it. Got but it. once again, and I've always been, I think the rare bird that really my hand is in everything. I mean, I used to make jewelry as a kid. I, I mean, you name it. If it involves something creative, I just, I was into it. I, I did it. I would sell jewelry at the kids in school to make money for lunch. <laughs> I just sold drugs. Never gave me a lunch money. <laughs> I wanted two platters. Like my parents gave me money for once. So I was like, hey, I just made these beaded earrings. Do you like them at least? At least $5. They're yours. You know, and I would whip them <laughs> two up for with ten. Like wire. <laughs> yeah. And if you buy now, you get a free gift with purchase. I would whip them up with like little wire nippers and just make little things and buy these little hooks. And so like I constantly, just constantly creating in any way that I could possibly think of to create. And loving, once again, my family for constantly embracing it all the time. When I was making that jewelry, my uncle had a hair salon and he was like, let's put an earring tree in. <laughs> let's put an earring tree up at the, and we could sell them and then he would sell my earrings and you know, I'm sure they fell apart like you know after like two weeks but hey oh, that's constantly great. create constantly constantly create I, tell what it, I mean you hit the family jackpot man I mean the universe smiled on you to, to be born into a truly. family like this yeah truly 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 I always like to say that I picked the correct family. Right, yeah, that's feel, correct. You know, we're like all spirits mm, up there mm. like, hmm, do I want that family? Oh, mm. no, they're in Milwaukee. Mm. Do I want that family? Oh, no. they. She's making something out of a box for dinner. Oh, <laughs> I want that family. Yeah. When you came out as a gay man, was it also like, were they as supportive as I might imagine? They were better than most. I mean, but also... I think I was more, you know, in your face, in your face, in your face with mm -hmm. it, which probably was not the right approach on my, because my mother would be like, okay, I get it. Stop jamming it down my throat. I'm like, you don't have to accept it. I'm accepting it, but not if you're shoving it in my face. I was like, well, that's the wrong attitude, mom. But I realized it over time that, oh, wow, they were way more accepting than I gave them credit for. Because I always had these conversations in my head that, you know, they, that never happened, you know, right. never right. happened. And I would say, to, how come you let my brother, my brother, Nick, how come you let Nick have a water bed, but you wouldn't let me, you said no. And she's like, you never asked me for a water bed. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I did. Wait a minute. No, I didn't. I did it in my head. <laughs> and in my head, you hollered at me and said no. So then I figured it was no. And she was like, you are one special child. <laughs> you had a whole you dialogue were, in your yeah, head that never happened. The whole fight happened. There was drinks thrown in her face. <laughs> It was it was Dynasty. It was Crystal and Alexis Carrington over a dumb water bed. <laughs> that never happened. That's Insane. classic. Oh Insane. my god. I I have a friend whose sister came out years ago in Chicago and <laughs> It was it was family Thanksgiving was a big deal for the family oh, and it was Thanksgiving it was Thanksgiving dinner everyone's around the table and my uh -huh. my friend's sister comes out during dinner and says my everybody I'm gay pass the mashed potatoes please <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh, it was just, it was just fantastic well anyway so when it comes to character development I mean because you've got it feels like you've got you know, different character, mini characters that you develop and you work. But this recently on social, it seems like you're really playing up this Karen character. And I feel bad for the Karen, the name Karen, 
because it's been ruined. It's actually been ruined. And the list of the most popular and least popular names of 2022 just came out like a month ago. And Karen is at the absolute bottom of it. I think there was three <laughs> people named Karen in 2022. They named their kid Karen. And in 1960, it was the number one. But yes, I am obsessed with, first of all, I love playing with wigs. I love at the Growlings, they did this show. Growlings is the improv theater group in LA. They did this show where it was called Wall of Wigs. And the improver would go, just yank a wig off the wall, put it on their head, and have to be that character. No script, no nothing. And I was obsessed. I was obsessed with it. I was like, this is so great. So I've, and my whole family, my mainly, like, my most likely, most likely my sister and I. We're constantly playing games and putting on these plays and playing characters because of we were just so perceptive to just watch people. And Karen came about because I was reading TripAdvisor reviews and how they would be complaining about, you know, one of the seven wonders of the world. Like, wait a minute. Like I like I it's it's on my TikTok I, and I did it live at the Social Media Meltdown show. This one woman went to the Anne Frank house and could not function because she said it was claustrophobic. And she's complaining now. She puts, she reviews it on TripAdvisor. I can't, I love that review so much that it, to me, is like, this cannot go unread. I've got to perform it. I have to find a wig that looks like a Karen and I have to perform it. And then it got a great reception and I just kept finding more. There's one that she reviews the great wall. She's like, it's just a wall. Well, what did you think it would be? It's called the great wall. Of it's China. in the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the title. Come on. One woman was like, nobody speaks English here. We're here in France. What do you think? You know what I mean? The woman that didn't like the, I, I didn't put this in the set because it was too long, but the woman who complained about the Anne Frank house also complained that they didn't sell diaries in the Anne Frank gift shop. I can't with that. I can't with that. Wait a minute. She went to the Anne Frank house to shop in the gift shop to purchase a diary. Oh gosh, are you kidding me? So I'm I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with that. I'm obsessed <laughs> with that. I can't. I can't read and hear and <laughs> and listen to them. Because I'm like, are you serious? You cannot be this. You can't. And I, I feel terrible because I know a lot of Karens and they're not like that. And I, I don't want to call her Karen. But, you know, when you say, oh, I'm going to be performing a Karen, people get what you're going to do. You're going to want to speak to the manager. It sort of reminds me of when early on in the pandemic, I heard, you know, whether it was true or not, who knows, but I'd heard that Corona beer was seriously thinking oh, about changing its that. name. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, I heard that too. I heard that too. What, what, how many Karens, how many, you know, nice Karens are changing their yeah. names right yeah, now? Yeah, I know. I, I, I just think, you know, can, and even on my social media, there will be a Karen that comments, can we give her another name yet? <laughs> So it's like, I feel, I know, I feel for you, honey, but no, it'll pass. Don't worry. <laughs> we didn't call them Karens in our day. I even said this. We just called them assholes. Assholes. That's right. That's right. Ugh, yeah, stupid did, people. I, people did, being like, stupid. One, one woman named Karen called the police or the manager and it just became like a thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So character development. I absolutely loved. I've always loved. I loved watching the Carol Burnett show, all the characters she played, yeah. Saturday Night Live characters. Mm -hmm. I just am obsessed with characters. I would play games with my cousins and my sisters. Like I would be like, okay, we're going to go out to dinner, but we're only going to speak in a Southern accent. And they're like, <laughs> why? Just do it. <laughs> like, we don't understand the exercise. It's not exercise for fun. For See, fun. We can pass. That's yeah. right. And then one time, like, we went into somewhere and I was speaking with a Southern accent and the woman had a Southern accent and was like, oh, where y'all from? And I was like, oh, my God, just no backfire. Get out of here. Run away. But I would always <laughs> play games like that. I loved it. I love character study. The groundling thing that you talked about with the wigs, I mean, that's such a brilliant spin on charades. It's like, you know, like, that's let's so good that you could do that for fun at the house. It's like, just get I, a bunch of wigs and, and some drinks. I do. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I do. Uh, you know, it's, I'm thinking about that's a new game for the kids. You know, next next uh, family outing. I mean, that's uh, that's uh, smart. I used to play games like that with my nieces and nephews, and you know, they could not wait for their gunko to uh, come <laughs> over and whatever it was. It was, and it was always like improv games or yeah. just pull this out. Okay, here is. We used to play. I made up a game called QVC. <laughs> I gave you a random object. It could be a pencil. It could be whatever. I was like, okay, sell it to me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's great. And I had a niece who sold it to me as a head scratcher. And she was like, <laughs> she was like four or five. And to me, that's, you're thinking outside of the box. Like the boys were like, this is a pencil. You could write your tests with it. You could do, I'm like, no. Nah. It's a pencil. You can't sell it to me as a pencil. It's a writing instrument. No, it's a writing. And then my my niece went Boys. like, this is a head scratcher. Bah, bah, bah. If you have an itch, get that, get that, I'm like, oh, you, you. Sold. You, you come from me. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the groundlings. Was your education and your training, I mean, a lot of folks like the groundlings or improv and shit in Chicago. Why am I forgetting it? Not the improv, but Second City, of course. Yeah. Second City, Groundlings, How you know, like the, going with this? the yeah, yeah, right. These, going, these yeah. you know, people go, they learn, they train, they study, you know, improv or what have you. Where did you learn your chops? I mean, what was your journey uh, in terms of your acting career, your comedy career? Did you study? Well, went, did you go to school? I studied acting. I studied. I went to Temple University in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. where I was part of the theater track, but then kind of switched more to radio, television, and film. Went into mm-hmm. more like kind of production because mm-hmm. I I like to have my hand in every single thing. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm going to be an actor. I want to know what that guy does, what that guy does, what that guy does, what you do. What you, I want to know it all. Yeah. Because I think it, it just helps you understand what you're doing if mm-hmm. you know what that person's doing. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. then when I was in New York for a hot minute, I studied there. And then when I moved to L.A., I was taking little, I guess you could say like scene study classes. And mm-hmm. the biggest class for me that I learned the most from was my audition technique. Because there is an art to Mm. auditioning. And I didn't know this. You audition, the way you audition, not necessarily acting. And you audition for different pieces in a different way. And that was the biggest thing that I learned. That's fascinating to me. Talk about that a little bit. Audition technique, I'm literally obsessed with. Because once you figure that out, you know, you got it. Once you've learned how to act, Okay, move on. (laughs) Find something else to learn. Okay, you would audition differently for like a multicam, which is a a company that is more cameras like Mm -hmm. Friends or Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. your acting is more heightened. You're a little bit more over the top. You're on a screen this big. They need to see what you're doing. Auditioning for film, completely the opposite. You're on a giant screen, so every movement that you make is big. So a Mm. little tiny movement will say a lot, depending what you're auditioning for. Are you auditioning for a co-star? Are you auditioning for a guest star? Each of these hierarchy of where you fall in the show that you're auditioning for, each of them have a specific technique that you use. A co-star is meant to enhance the actor Mm -hmm. that they're playing against. Mm -hmm. They're basically supposed to just blend into the scenery. Mm -hmm. So if you're auditioning for a co-star and you're like, hello, my baby, they're like, okay, this guy's too much. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. a guest star is supposed to enhance the story. Mm -hmm. You could get a little bit bigger with your audition. And then multicam, I just actually filmed a multicam that my audition was so insane and over the top that I enjoyed it so much that I was like, I don't care if I get this or not, I'm sending this in. I was yelling and screaming and moving and doing this. And my friend was down filming me and brought his dog and the dog was barking and I brought the dog into the scene and I'm like, hey, no, that dog. And I just loved it. I watched it so many times and I laughed and I was like, I'm sending this in, I don't care. Lo and behold, I book it. So do what you do. If you can get to the level where you are free and not restricted and it just flows out of who you are, 
you got it. It just takes time, but you got it. Well, and I think, you know, what you said a minute ago about also understanding all the moving parts of the machine. I mean, because at the end of the day, right, it is a team sport, right? I mean, you know, and understanding your role as a player on the team, whatever that role might be, is so powerful. And then this idea that even within a dimension or one facet of what that art form is, that you could even go deeper and, you know, learn a technique or learn the art of that art, you know, is, is powerful stuff. Did we freeze? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, no, 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 no. Are you uncomfortable like, with, <laughs> with 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 silence, <laughs> Teddy? <All right. laughs> you know, silence is music too, my friend. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do on stage is actually that. My favorite thing, I do this bit where I talk to my glove as a kid. I was My dad wanted to butch me up. Right, right. So he had me audition for a softball <laughs> or baseball, or Little League. And I was like, what is that? I don't know what it is, Daddy. I don't understand. What is it? Is it, a, is it a show? Is it a Broadway show? And so he got me this glove that was real hard. You know when you first get that baseball oh, glove, yeah. it's not worn in? Yep, yep. Okay, but then when it gets worn in, it's your hand. But in the beginning, it's just like so stiff. So I spent... Like my dad was like, do this, keep doing this. And we put the lotion on the body and it does this when (laughs) it's cold. And we did all that stuff. And so I spent my time in the outfield doing this with my glove because I wanted to, you know, make it soft. And I created a game where I literally would talk to it like it was a puppet. (laughs) And I'm in out outfield now. Like they they were like, (laughs) this kid is we got to create a role for him. Well, they, put, they, they, they put me in the outfield, too, because it's like, oh, he sucks. He goes in the outfield. Yeah. So I'm literally – and then I just started talking to the glove, like, hey, I'm hi, how are you? And so – but then I, when I do what I actually was doing, but then I turn it around and say, now, this is what they were looking at in the stands. And I say not a word. And I literally – that's the, another of the most powerful things, to hear the audience roaring and you've not said a sound is amazing. So am I uncomfortable with silence? No. <laughs> what you did, I don't know what that was. <laughs> I'm not a trained professional, Teddy. I'm just making it up as I go, my friend. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, I was uh, as I was, you know, sort of getting ready for our little chat today, I was on the website, on your website, and I was just clicking through some of the videos and the reels and stuff. And I mean, you've just done so much, man. I mean, you've, you know, it. I mean, I don't know what your bank account looks like, but it does look like you're, you're I, I, I think you're, yeah. I think your soul is rich because it yeah. looks like you're having uh, a lot you. of fun. I love man. that. I have always wanted to be rich. And then, you know, as the more you go through life, you realize a rich soul is there's not a wealthier person. So 100%. that is a huge compliment to me. That is a huge compliment to me. I just always want to be creating at all times. And we'll try it all. I will try it all. I mean, I there are things that I've done that I never thought I would do. I played Edna in Hairspray. I am not a singer. I mean, with this voice. And they were like, you sound like Harvey Firestein. You should do it. And I'm like, ah, ah. And then I had to do a, a soft shoe, like the dance. I'm like, what? You know, and there, but I did it. Like, I did it. And I loved every second of it. Just, I, you know, part of life should be just say yes. Do it. A hundred percent. You're afraid of something, mm-hmm. do it. Because mm. the thing we're most afraid of is and usually <clears throat> nine times out of ten ends up being the thing that we either love the most or takes us somewhere else where we're like, wow, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have got to here and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm at a point now in life where I sort of look back. I'll be 52 next month, but I'm looking back on and I, you know, as a rule, I don't like to look back. There's no, I mean, the, the trick is to be present in the moment, yeah. not worry yeah. about the past not worry about the future, but to be present. But it is interesting. You can't, you know, of course, natural to sort of think back on things. And, you know, I moved to LA in 01 and we're talking about the groundlings and stuff. And I moved to LA with no aspirations of being in the business whatsoever. But now having been in the, you know, here in LA for so long and being business adjacent, if you will, you know, but man, I could have been for fun taking acting classes or doing some stand-up uh, workshops or whatever. Yeah. And by the way, those are just skills and tools that are good I, for life. For life. And they're here at our disposal. I'll say it again. Everybody 
do something creative, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter. It could be anything. Do it. Try your head. Take a stand-up class in your town. Mm. You know, go to the art store and pick up, you know, pastels and try something. Do something. Just constantly, if your creative juices are just constantly flowing and going and going, good things happen. They just 100%. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, when I when I turned forty, and again, I don't give a shit about the numbers; not a big deal. But I, on my birthdays, I tend to get introspective. I just do, you know. And I and I like to think about the year before, the year past, the year ahead. You know, what did I learn? What are, you know? And when I turned forty, I thought, okay, I got forty spins around the sun under my heels here. And now's a good time to sort of, you know, take it to you know audit, you know, take an assessment. And it was like I asked myself the most basic question. I said, when have I been most happy? In 40 years, when have I been most happy? And the answer came like that. The answer was when I've been creative, creating, working with creative people, and when I've been outside. Like, that was it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like, it was like okay, I'm going to spend, if I have another 40 years, I want to spend as much time as I can being creative, working with creative people, creating, and outdoors. Right, so then you should do theater in the park. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you should do theater in the square. <laughs> That's right. I know that, and you know, I get kind of obsessed and get myself into like a sort of a K hole, if you will, of you know people who knew that they were dying and their regrets, and they always, all of them, all of them say, "I wish I would have done this," or "I, I wish I would have done this," and it's always something that is creative. I wish I would have not spent. 80 hours a week working and That's I right. wish it was 60, but 20 was dancing, whatever. And I have always just said, I don't ever want to be one of those people that said, oh, I should have tried this. Cause I would rather try and fail. And I've done that a million times than not have done it at all. Yeah. The last thing you're going to say on your deathbed is like, Oh, I wish I'd scheduled that meeting. <laughs> you know, I wish, yeah, I wish, exactly. oh, if, I wish I just exactly. had worked more, you know, give me a fucking break. God, I should have spent more time at that water cooler. I would have got all the gossip. <laughs> no, it's just, it's without fail. Anytime that it's a thing going around, I don't know where I've seen it, but anytime it's like so-and-so was in hospice and I asked them, you know, what, if you had to do it all over again, what would it be? And it was always something like, you know, I wish I were, or that one who had, there's this woman who has dementia. She doesn't even know where she is. Yeah. And she was a dancer, like in the twenties or thirties. And they found like a clip of her and her like great granddaughter showed it to her. Now this woman was basically in a catatonic state for years. She saw that and you could see life in her and she recognized it, smiled and said something. Uh, so the power mm. that don't let it pass you by. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Life moves Do fast. It. Don't miss it. Do don't it. miss Do it. it. Just say, don't listen to Nancy Reagan. Just say yes. <laughs> just say yes. Yes. And by the way, Nancy Reagan, what a rude bitch. She said, just say no, no, no. just say no. Thank yeah. you. No, thank you. <laughs> Come just on now. No. How about a thank you once in a while, man? <laughs> you know, one of the struggles of being an artist, of course, is that, you know, it's like with anything, right? It's super tough. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 hours, you know, to perfect one's craft. And you still may not make a buck. You know, artists are constantly struggling. The notion of, of a starving artist being, you know, quite cliche, but sort of rooted in some truth. If in And so, you know, this week I happened upon the documentary on Showtime about the uh, comedy store right and um oh, yeah, it's a great documentary and they were talking about the strike uh, that happened in 79 you know comics you know looked up after this sort of honeymoon era of building the store and you know it'd been fantastic you know sort of blazing a new trail but then they looked up and realized that you know the club owner mitzi was making money and they weren't making money and they weren't getting paid and so you know that whole thing you know artists are notoriously asked to work for free you know yeah. sweat equity what have you what are those struggles that vex you now as a comic in 20 you know 22 I always like to challenge myself to do mm. something that I, I haven't done. I also, I always feel this. 
when an artist isn't hungry anymore, I think their art suffers. Mm. All of them. I think it's that driving force of the hunger Mm. that gets us. This is towards the end of what we're talking about to get even into it. Mm -hmm. But I believe like in fasting at times Mm -hmm. where I will deny myself actual food to be actually hungry. And for some insane uh, universal reason, I have more clarity. I can think. I can focus and Mm -hmm. I can get done what I need to do. So you have to, if they're not coming to you, they're not, if you're not faced with these obstacles, put them in your way, Mm. put them in your way. Mm. And it doesn't have to be like, Oh, I'm not paying my rent, but something like I've never done musical theater. Okay. They asked me, I'm going to do it. That was petrifying to me, Mm. but I was hungry to learn it. So there is something to be said about that, that hunger in any way. And if you're constantly putting new things in front of you, new things, new challenges, you'll always have that hunger. I do believe art suffers when the artist has become comfortable, complacent, and not hungry anymore. It happens to recording artists. It happens to actors. You're like, well, they phoned that in. Yeah. You know, they don't need to do that. Well, part of what you're getting at is this idea of being a lifelong learner, lifelong student, right? Don't uh, be apathetic. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't be myopic. Uh, continue to stretch and challenge yourself. And the energy and the growth that comes from that also allows you to make a better living in the end. Yep. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Teddy Marcus, you're like a genius, man. <laughs> I mean... I am. I am. I am. What What's your IQ? Like 800? Like what? Yeah. yeah. 801. It's 801. <laughs> right. if, Just you're on the prices, if you're on the prices right, you would have been called down. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, my friend, I am so grateful for you to come and spend a little time with us here at the Not Real Art Podcast. You are a joy. You are a gift. We are grateful for you. Tell us, what are you working on right now? Where can people find you? And you got a show coming up that we can plug here for you? Yes, we have we have a lot happening. You can find me on all social media at Teddy Margus. I have a show coming up at the Comedy Store, the Social Media Meltdowns, which, was, which is April 17th. I'm also doing a show the week after that, April 25th, at the Improv called Stand Up When, which is a great show. It's big. The host gives you a year. And you have to do stand-up in that year. And this year we're doing is 16-13. I want to go to that. I want to go to that. Yeah. We're doing a whole Shakespearean (laughs) comedy, you know? And so I'm doing that. And I I have three projects coming out this year. My acting chops are paying off. I will be – it's coming out – I don't know when, actually – this year, though, Ryan Murphy's Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story with mm. Evan Peters. Mm-hmm. I'm in that. Mm-hmm. I am in a new show called Reboot from the creators of Modern Family. That'll be out later this year. And I am in a film called Paradise that I spent two weeks in Hawaii filming uh, over Halloween. So fantastic. Lots, lots coming. Lots going on. I, I do have to say, though, I'm a little sad I didn't hear that you've been recast. Uh, or cast in a remake of The Godfather. Because I think you, as the Godfather, the Marlon Brando character. I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, the, the, there's, a, there's, you. A, there's a mobster uh, dimension to your artistry. Two years ago, I was in three shows that I played Tony. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, we need a Tony. Is he Italian? Yeah. Is he Mafia? Yeah, get Teddy Marcus. Oh, okay, really? Yeah. I'm <laughs> constantly going out for that, yeah. I think, hey, come on, bring it on. When they redid the like this Sopranos prequel, mm. I was like, come on, come on, people. Who's, I want to play young, young pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's it. Well, I'll tell you what, Teddy Marcus, you are on fire. You're going places, my friend. Please, when that bank account hits nine digits, yeah. Please don't forget us. Will you come back? And, uh, and, and I always, I adore you. I adore the people around you. I just, I adore you. 
Well, we adore you too. And uh, you have a beautiful day, my friend. And I will. Uh, we will talk soon. And uh, look out, uh, you've got a couple of uh, portals behind you to another dimension. If they well, these are actually they could be breasts. Like, <laughs> That's it. The areolas and the nipples. I see them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're actually lopsided, like breasts really are. <laughs> right. <laughs> no plastic surgery in those boobs. No, these uh, are fresh out of the bag. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcasts and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.